The English Eccentric by E. O. Higgins. In 1765, a distinguished French scholar by the name of Pierre Jean Grosley visited England for the first time and was struck by the level of eccentricity he observed in the natives. Writing home on the subject, he noted that this unusual behaviour he had observed could be attributed to a mixture of fogs, beef and beer, aggravated by the tedium of the English Sunday. The British neurologist, naturalist, historian of science and writer Oliver Sacks once declared, eccentricity is like having an accent. It's what other people have. The eccentrics we'll meet in this podcast series are often people with corkscrew minds, peculiar obsessions, and largely incomprehensible outlooks. They straddle both sexes and all social classes. Some of their stories are famous, but most are unjustifiably obscure. But hopefully, what they all are is worth a listen. Oliver Reed 1938-1999 The Hellraiser Born in Wimbledon, southwest London in 1938, Oliver Reed suffered from dyslexia, which went undiagnosed at school and was summarily dismissed as laziness and a lack of concentration. His father, Peter, a journalist, moved the young Ollie around a variety of local educational institutions and crammers, hoping to find one that could teach him to write properly. With the result that Reed attended 14 different schools and received an extremely fragmented education. Finally, according to Reed, his father concluded that he was a dunce and gave up on him. Finding schoolwork tough going, Reed instead focused on sporting achievement and one sports day at school, he went home with 11 cups. Though this singularly failed to impress his father. Despite encouragement from his extended family, Reed initially shunned drama school and decided, upon leaving formal education, to learn about life. And so began a protracted period of abject drunkenness in London pubs punctuated only by occasional fistfights and random displays of exhibitionism. Reed came from a long line of people connected to the performing arts. His grandfather, Sir Herbert Beerbohm Tree, a good name, was the renowned actor-manager that founded RADA, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. His uncle Carol was also well known in the film industry, having directed many successful films including an acclaimed 1948 adaptation of Graham Greene's The Third Man. Finally, Reed was persuaded to give acting a go. His first speaking role was as Chorus Boy, a ludicrously camp comic relief thesp looking for the rehearsal rooms of Babes in the Wood in the otherwise sublime 1960 film comedy The League of Gentlemen. This was followed by an assortment of bit parts on Hammer Horror Flicks and a notable role in the 1961 Peter Finch drama, No Love for Johnny, where he was billed as Man with Bucket on His Head. Reed's breakthrough role came as Bill Sykes in Oliver, the 1968 musical version 
of Dickens's Oliver Twist. Directed by his uncle, Reed later claimed that he had landed the role because the two men had come out of the same cock. Reed's Bill Sykes caught the eye of director Ken Russell, who cast him in Women in Love, 1969, the first mainstream movie to show full frontal male nudity. In it, Reed famously has a fireside wrestle with Alan Bates, a scene that Reed insisted did not end up on the cutting room floor. In I'll Never Forget What's Her Name, 1967, Reed became the first lead actor to say fuck on film, and in Sitting Target, 1972, he starred in the first British film to be given an X rating just because of the violence in it. Whilst playing the part of Athos in George MacDonald Fraser's The Three Musketeers, 1973, the cast were put up in a five-star hotel in Madrid. Reed, who evidently got bored between takes, decided one night to surreptitiously remove all the goldfish from the ornamental pond inside the dining room and stashed them in the bathtub in his room. He then filled the pond with slices of carrot that he'd skillfully fashioned into fish. After breakfast the next morning, Reed dived into the pond and emerged with a carrot fish in his mouth. His fellow cast members stood about in some confusion as a dripping Reed was dragged from the pond by local police, screaming, You can't touch me! I'm one of the musketeers! Reed spent much of his adult life being thrown out of pubs and hotels. After marathon drinking sessions, he designated tests of strength. These would typically be followed by him revealing his bird claw tattooed penis to any crowd that might have assembled. He also had a penchant for punch-ups. One bar fight he was involved with ended up with Reed being attacked by a man with a broken glass bottle and him being rushed to hospital where he had to have 36 stitches to repair cuts to his face. The incident left him with permanent scarring which he initially feared would put an end to his screen career. Luckily he healed well and the duelling scars that remained brought a new level of credibility to many of the roles he took on. In the late 1960s, Reed bought Broom Hall, a 56-bedroom former monastery that sat on over 50 acres of Surrey countryside. He later claimed, Came with a field. I went, um, I went to an estate agent shop looking for a field in order that I could jump Dougal, my horse, and build a jump there. A coloured one so he wouldn't get paranoid. And rather than... Uh, I went into the, into the estate agent's office and I said, have you got a field? They said, uh, no, not at the moment. And I went back into the pub again and I said, have, maybe you've got a field with a cottage and I'll buy it if you have that. And they said, no, we haven't. And I said, well, have you got a field with a house? And they said, well, so happens we have. I came down here, got the field and the house. Whilst living there, a quiet Saturday afternoon trip to his local country pub apparently culminated in Reed inviting 36 rugby players over to his house, and between Saturday night and Sunday lunchtime, between them, they famously consumed 60 gallons of beer, 32 bottles of whiskey, 17 bottles of gin, 4 crates of wine, and 1 bottle of baby sham. Before throwing them out the next morning, at Reed's insistence, the entire party engaged on a nude dawn run, through the Surrey countryside. Reed was later banned from his local pub 
the punch bowl in Ockley for descending the chimney one Christmas and appearing on the hearth rug, dazed and covered in soot, bellowing, Ho, ho, ho! I'm Santa Claus! Obviously, he was naked at the time. Remarkably, it seems Reed was in the running to succeed Sean Connery to play James Bond. Indeed, a notable British film magazine at the time even polled their readership, asking who they wanted to replace Connery as Bond, and the vast majority voted for Reed. In Evil Spirits, the 2000 biography of Reed by Cliff Goodwin, he includes a note written by Bond producer Cubby Broccoli, which seems to succinctly explain the problem with Reed's potential casting with Universal Studios. With Reed, we just would have had a far greater problem trying to destroy his image and remould him as James Bond. We just didn't have the time or money to do that. So, Reed's rough, rabble-rousing reputation seems to be what ruined his chances to play Bond. And in fairness, it is difficult to imagine the ultimate gentleman spy getting pissed, getting in a fistfight, and then getting his tattooed cock out afterwards to amuse the crowds. In the early 1980s, Reed's film roles began to dry up, and so he hit the chat show circuit, but not always with huge success. Actually, I'm a prankster. <laughs> and so what I do, everybody expects that I'm going to make a fool of myself or an absolute ass, and so I generally do. Reed's whole ass-making method he honed over years of successive chat show appearances. One notable appearance on Aspel on ITV in 1984 saw Reed appearing from somewhere backstage, clutching a jug of uh, orange juice, then winking indulgently at the audience, before tottering along to sit beside fellow guests Sue Pollard and Clive James. Mid-interview with Michael Aspel, his eyes whirring, Reed apparently got bored and broke into an impromptu rendition of The Wild One, a song written by Carry On star Jim Dale, which Reed had himself recorded for Decca Records in 1961. When Aspel's house band started playing along, this prompted Reed to stagger to his feet and lurch uneasily across the studio towards them. Looking temporarily blinded by the lights, he removed his jacket and proceeded to gurn and flail about. It was something to behold. Soon a popular showbiz adage on never working with children, animals or Oliver Reed became popular with broadcasters about the perils of working in live television regardless of the fact that the Aspel show had actually been recorded the day before it aired. It reached a point when Reed rarely appeared on television without being drunk, or at least pretending to be. Like Dean Martin, he had become a pissed-up caricature of himself, a pie-eyed, boorish, scarlet-cheeked oaf whose frothing tangents most sports-coated interviewers did not dare interrupt. For some mad reason, in the wake of the First Gulf War, Reed was invited onto Channel 4's grown-up discussion show After Dark to talk in a huddle of high-tar academics on the subject of male violence. Clearly arsehole with popped collars and a gingery moustache, Reed made such impenetrable contributions to the discussion as Ah, if somebody that knows no ill really comes to the Palais de Dance and dances around the place, 
stills his heels in the air because he's a Celt. Why should he go down? And how do you forgive yourself because he's the better dancer? To sign off on a remark about how men were hunters and women should be grateful, he rolled across the sofa he was seated on and kissed feminist academic Kate Millett on the cheek, after which he was invited, quite persuasively, to leave the studio. His behaviour on the show resulted in more than 700 viewer complaints, and Reed responded by immediately emigrating to Ireland. Reed struggled to adjust as he got older and was no longer being cast as the romantic lead in films. On one episode of Parkinson in the early 80s, he complained that he was now being offered parts of generals and psychiatrists, lamenting, I don't get the crumpet. This was, after all, a man who had famously summed up his career as shafting the girlies and downing the sherby. In 1985, he married Josephine Burge, a woman 26 years his junior. After the solemn vows taken at the church wedding service, Reed was out on the street, brandishing handcuffs and singing bawdy songs to the press. The next year, Reed was forced to dig up nine acres of his back garden after forgetting where he'd buried Burge's jewellery following a drunken argument. And he never found it. In the last year of the 20th century, Reed suffered a fatal heart attack in Malta during the filming of the Ridley Scott movie Gladiator. Casting Reed as the slave trader Proximo certainly seemed canny enough. His on-screen monologue on the cheers of the Colosseum seemed to chime perfectly with his own often stated need for applause. Then listen to me. Learn from me. I wasn't the best because I killed quickly. I was the best because the crowd loved me. Win the crowd, and you'll win your freedom. Reed, who had a morbid fear of dying peacefully, would no doubt have been comfortable with the circumstances of his death. He collapsed on the floor of a Maltese barroom midway through an arm wrestling contest with a local fisherman, having polished off three bottles of rum. Reed's demise was also something he had long considered, for he had stipulated exactly how his send-off shouldn't take place. He didn't want to be laid out for days in his Sunday best in order to have people gawping at what a dead Hellraiser looks like. Nor did he favour burial due to his fear of maggots having a ball crawling up his nose or out of his mouth. Or burial at sea. Who wants to be gobbled up by a big fish? and become excrement that is swallowed up by a prawn, ending up being mayonnaise nibbled by a pretty girl. I don't want to be a permanent shit. Reed's last will and testament instructed that his wake should take place in his local pub, and that £10,000 must be spent buying drinks, but just on those who were crying. Reportedly, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. Next on the English Eccentric The Militia Wing of the National Trust 
The door bursts open, and Oliver Reed walks in, and I never realised he was such a big guy. Big, big guy. He looked like a big bear walking in. He's, he orders a drink, and he's, I'm standing by the bar, and he's looking, like a big dish, and he looks around, and he looks at me, and he goes, Oh, I see tattoos. And I says, oh, oh, my God, fuck me, he's legless, and he's going to start on me. And he goes, I have a tattoo. And I go, oh, really? And he goes, would you like to see my tattoo? And I said, well, I think he expects him to show me a fucking anchor or something on his arm. I go, sure. <laughs> he gets his dick out and he's got a... I can't remember what it was. I, mean, I didn't really take that much of a look, but he had a tattoo on the end of his dick and he gets it out in the bar.